usually I like to I like to kind of warm up just a little bit, and I had nothing this morning. And then I was kind of thinking about something that happened, and it started to make me chuckle. And of course, I'm sitting there and still kind of thinking about it. And I don't know if I can get the full picture of what happened to you. But have you ever been called to do something like the Lord gave you a task? And you just didn't feel up to it. You didn't feel equipped or you were scared or you're nervous or you're whatever it was. You just didn't feel up to it. And so maybe you lacked obedience. So I've got this dog and some of you have met him before. um, And his name is Banjo. And he's crazy and he's a handful. And we're trying to work with that. But um, I take him out with me to milk the goats every morning. And my goats are alpines. I mean, the one I milk is probably, you know, waist high or so. And he comes in, his job, is, he thinks his job is to put her from where she comes out to the dairy area. And um, he just jumps right out of this morning and literally almost goes right over the top of her. And so he's thinking he's doing an amazing job. Like he stepped his game up and it worked. Everything's fine. And he waits for me to tell him how good he did. And so... Um, I think back to how obedient he thinks he was. But then I go back to this morning when I first got up. He is a morning person. I am not. I mean, I like to get up early, but like when he's up, he's up. Like he's wanting, bouncing off of me and automatically you're starting to correct his bad habits. So I usually just open the door and put him out. And so he's sitting out there and about five minutes later I look out and, you know, there's a little bit of mist coming off of the front pasture and I'm looking out and there's about... I'd say at least nine or ten deer. And I, I notice them, and then about 30 feet away, he's sitting by the tree. I'm just sitting, ears up, and I'm thinking, they kind of look like goats. I wonder what he's going to do. So I don't want to scare him, and I open the door, and I very quietly go, get him. And he goes, and just looks at me like, are you kidding me? Like he was not up for the task, and there was no obedience. And I keep picturing that look at, like, what are you talking about? Um, so I wrote you guys a letter this morning. I'm going to read it. Um, and it's just in reference to kind of what we're going to talk about, but to some things that I've, I noticed, um, from the church here recently. So let me read this to you. I began the study that we're going to talk about today that I would take you guys on a long and exciting journey, a journey that in great detail would get us to know our vine, our Lord, who we confess to follow to study the ins and outs of his interactions from his first interactions with man all the way through his ministry for the sole purpose of increasing the fruit in each one of us so that we can all be like the vine and please the Father. Somewhere along the way, I got hung up on presenting this chronological order, you know, sifting through uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and into Revelations and like piecing it all together. The problem there is that's not my personality. I'm a little disorganized. So I kind of decided instead we won't progress like that, but instead we'll just grab the jewels that stick out and and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in bearing the fruit he desires. If we plant a tree, amend the soil, increase its growth through watering and fertilize and keep the bugs away, cover the ground with mulch to keep the moisture in, drape bird netting over it, and then let all that fruit ripen and fall to the ground and sour and draw in flies, it's pointless unless we use the fruit, share it with others that he intends, be obedient to his call, learning by the prime example in Jesus how he ministered. We will get out as, get out as individuals, families, and as a corporate church 
and recreate his stories in the world that desperately need it to be pleasing in the sight of God. One example that I saw was last week with the Mennonite Relief Cell. And I'm thinking, just way to go, church. It was really cool to see. Um, it, what a joy to, pre- to be present and to see the excellent, you guys be excellent in his service. There was a little spats here and there. That's because we're humans. But you guys did a great job, and I saw Christ shine. And it was really cool to see. Um, you were able to put together a, a, a large donation for a ministry that needed it. And Levi shared with me some really cool stuff about that ministry. And so um, I'm proud of you guys. And there's not some of people are missing that aren't here. But it was a joy to see, a joy to be around. If you want to turn with me, let's go to John 15.1. And I'm going to read this as a precursor to kind of what we're going to talk about today. I prayed the Lord would tell me what he wanted to say before I got up here, but I'm not sure he's done that yet. So, And a lot of times that's because we talked several, maybe a couple months ago, about the, the Bible being a living word. And so I can read a verse, and the verse will say something to me. And you read the same verse and it says something different to you and then we'll argue about what it really means when in truth it's living and it meets you where you're at in life. Um, and so whatever we're, we're presenting today and what he's asked me to speak about, it has a different meaning for several of you in here. And so I just trust the Holy Spirit will meet us where we're at and you'll find how it's supposed to be, speak to you. So if John 15:1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the work I have spoken to you. And when you look at that word clean, it's literally all the dead wood, the clearing of the wasted vegetation is taken away in order to help the branch concentrate its growth. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branches bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Have you ever, take a break for just a second. Have you ever woke up with a a list of tasks that you were going to accomplish for the day? And task number one just took you off the list. I mean, you were just stuck and you never got anywhere. Have you ever been Write in something and you're, you're trying to accomplish something and you smash a finger. Or I hung these canoes in my, in my shop and I thought I'd, it looked so awesome. They were so out of the way. I was going away from my natural bend of disorganization and I got them up. And I hit my head on them all the time. I'm not talking once or twice. Sometimes like one day, like four times in a row, laying on the ground while my blue healer's like trying to stick his fingernail up my nose because he doesn't know what's going on and like... So finally, I moved him up. And I'm just saying, have you ever had things just not go right? And then you're off of that list. I have, and I realized that I was not focused on him. I had not invited him along with me. How, just, just going and going and going, time-oriented, trying to get stuff done. But when you're focused on the vine, and you don't do things in your own strength, but you do it in his strength, it goes so much better. I don't know how many times I've, I've 
lost my keys or I've lost my wallet or I've, and I mean, I look and look and look and look and finally I'm like, okay, Lord, I give up. Where are they at? And usually it's right there. Like, I don't know if he's like covering it and waiting for me to ask, but it's like right there. And yet in my humanity, the next time I lose them, I'm going to do the same cycle all over again. And so it's if we just live in the vine, it makes things so much easier. So back to back to the verses we were in. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire, burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We often talk about, you know, like I'll, somebody will say, oh, you did a great job. Well, to the glory of God. I mean, what I did wasn't for me. It was glory of God. Um, or whatever it is, you know, you, you get a compliment and we try to point that glory back to God. But we forget about that the greatest way we can do that is to be the disciples of Christ, um, to be like him. And so that's what our study is going to be about today as we start reading those red letters um, that are literally the words that tell the stories of Jesus and what he did. And so our goal here is to put our feet to asphalt, to learn the ins and outs the intricacies of who we are, confess who, who we confess as our Lord, to study him and follow our king. So we must study him and to be an extension of him as a branch on a vine, dependent on him for life, for support, for growth, and even for mere existence. In studying to be like Jesus, we are all well served to look at the red letters. Um, those are the actual words that he spoke. And so when you flip through here, I always say, oh, it's a red letter word. And sometimes I say a verse and I'm like, oh, that's a red letter word. You just kind of get used to saying these things. But you, when you look at them in context, you look at them here, you see these dialogues. And so as you see the dialogues, it's important. Um, the couple little easy verses we're going to look at today, you, it's important to read what happened as you go up to it. And then you read what he says and you read afterwards. And so we're going to ask a few questions. Where are they? Who is present and involved? What are they doing and what is going on? Why is this passage important and how is it applicable? And what does it teach us about those that are involved? But most importantly, what does this teach us about our Lord? So our goal is not to look at it chronologically because I told you I'm not going to do that. In fact, to be honest with you, um, I was flipping through here and just going. You know how sometimes you overgo and you get to the one back and you got to flip back? And this was just last night. And I saw these red letter words and I just kind of re- read it for a second. I'm like, oh, I should talk about that. But it was like last night at 11 o'clock. So I was like, eh, I better pull the reins in. So um, instead, what we're going to do is just grab rich sections of Jesus interacting and learn from, what, from them. So today that runs us from two different books. Matthew. Um, and if you guys remember, Matthew is a tax collector, so he's an IRS agent, um, probably not really well liked. Jesus spent time with him and was um, probably not looked at well because of that. Um, every time he was around a tax collector, nobody liked that. Um, and then we're going to talk about Luke, who was a physician. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke never really got to run around with Jesus, but he took information from Mark 
And he took information from the other Gospels and put it in a in kind of a great way. Mark's story is interesting because he was actually just the son of a really rich mom. And so he was, enti- I always think about the entitled person, you know. Um, and they thought, well, he wasn't well educated. We shouldn't even put him in the Gospels. Maybe we'll put him at the end. And then you, as you read, you find out actually many of them took his information to develop a story. And so actually one third of Luke's um, Gospel is actually taken from Mark. And so Mark talks a little bit about what we'll talk about today, but it kind of catches on the tail end, so we won't get there today. Um, but if you're turning your scriptures to Luke 2, we're going to start with Luke first. Um, just because when I first started looking at this, I was going chronologically. And so we're going to jump in Luke 2, and it's going to be verse 39 through 52. And so I'm going to turn there. And give me a second. You're probably faster than I am. Okay. Verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of God, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went to went down to Nazareth with them. And he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So his parents spent three days looking for him. So obviously there's a cultural difference here. Because we would be in trouble if it was like a day went by and we're like, huh, I wonder where Jesus is. And of course they traveled nomadically in this large group and there was family members there and You know, it was a different world because those family members probably vetted everybody was there. If they knew a creepy guy came in or somebody who didn't belong that nobody trusted, they would have probably already shoot him out. And so to a degree, we can kind of understand, you know, um, that he kind of slipped away. But three days. Like, can you imagine how you would be three days? Um, His mother offers a rebuke. Why have you treated us like this? Like, she's not happy. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. We don't have a ton of kids, but does anybody here have like a 10 to 13 year old kid? You do? You, where you got? How old's Trenton? Oh, there you go. So if it was Trenton, no. <laughs> and Trenton was gone, like literally three days, and then he says back, why are you searching for me? 
Didn't you know I'd be here? I mean, I'm not putting you on the spot, but I'm thinking I'd be pretty upset, you know? And she was. I mean, this is, this is, as it were, the holy child's defense against the implied reproach in his mother's question. She was a little hot. She was frustrated. She was also a little human. And so she didn't completely understand what's going on. If they had stopped to think and make sense, and this is so easy for me to say, because I'm not there. How many times do we read a Bible story and we're like, I mean, those disciples, and they got to see all this stuff. And they didn't believe or they didn't get it. And so not being there is easy for us to look back and see. But if they had stopped to think and make sense and reflect, there would have been no need for seeking they would have known what he was doing and where he was. Now, this comes out of a commentary. So I read it and I was like, yeah, 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 that's a little easier said than done. It was their humanity, being human, that made them worry, made them waste time, made them wander around looking for him everywhere but in the obvious place. Humanity makes me frantic when I'm searching for something and I forget the lesson that I've already learned. Humanity oftentimes makes us react in a different way. When we look at the next verse or the next uh, scripture section, we'll see humanity, but we'll also see obedience. Um, But we're not quite there yet. It was their humanity that made them respond as they did in 48 that kept them from understanding the full scope of who Jesus really was. Keep in mind, I mean, she's already been visited by a supernatural being. She's already seen angels. She's already been told to a degree with a little bit of mysticism about what was going to happen with this baby that she was going to immaculately be conceiving. Um, and so she, you would think to a degree like some of these things would catch her, but you, sometimes I think through life and you just see this little kid, you, it kind of fades away. You kind of think for a minute you're just living life like everybody else. That kept them from understanding the full scope of who Jesus was and led us to verse 50. Verse 50 says, but they did not understand what he was saying. When he says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They didn't get it. They didn't quite get what he was saying. Our humanity likewise, likewise comes out in our worry, in our understanding of the word of God. Sometimes we read something like that just doesn't make any sense. Um, I've heard people say, I just don't understand the Bible, you know. And that's part of our humanity. There's a, there's a road to grasping a little deeper. Um, and that can be solved in grasping God's will, understanding what is will. How many of you have thought, I have no clue what God wants me to do here? In gaining purpose for us. And it is only when we are bent towards God, walking with him, seeking him, and married to Christ that revelation begins in all of those things. A deeper understanding takes place and peace and purpose is gained. Also in humility, when you don't understand, you ask questions. You say, I don't quite get this. I don't know what's going on. So when we see this dialogue, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And it just goes to 50 and says, but they did not understand what he was saying, what he was saying to them. Well, verse 51 could say, so they asked him, what are you talking about? You know, what? What what don't we understand? What but we don't? We see an end of the dialogue, and so something to learn there. And it's not a rebuke on them because there very well could have been an exchange that's not included in here. But it is good for us to to remember that in humility, it's okay to say I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. Whether that's to God, 
or to somebody else in the church, whether it's dealing with your purpose, whether it's understanding a situation you feel like um, is unfair, just saying, I don't get it. Give me more. So looking back at what Jesus replied, I'm going to read five points. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house, that I had to be about this? There's a couple ways they, that some of the translations put it, that I had to be out about my father's business or in the things that are on my father's. There's five points I want to look at um, quickly. Number one, they are the son of God's very first documented words. So we don't have anything before this. That's it. So now we're talking about a study of the red letter words and we just come into this. And now we brought him on board. So this is also um, pre-ministry. And so will the next verse be pre-ministry. Also, his words indicate a consciousness of direct sonship relating to God, the God of the universe. He's aware he has an adopted earthly father. But now we see that he's also aware that there's something else going on, that there's this this relationship between him and God himself. There was a higher fatherhood for him than that of earthly adoption. Jesus was was aware of who his heavenly father was, but in verse 51 states, so if you go back to 51, it says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So even though he has a heavenly father, he was also subject to them and obedient to them. This one act of independence did not mean that he shook off all parental authority. And so let's flip where we're at over to the first part of Matthew. And we're just kind of clearing the air and setting the, setting the way for um, his ministry by getting some of the pre-ministry stuff out of the way. So if we look at Matthew 3, 7 through 12. Everybody here is familiar with John the Baptist. I kind of think John the Baptist is kind of cool. So when you read through his ministry, it says, um, we'll go through, we'll go to 12. So Matthew 3, 7 through 12. Thinking sure I'm in the right place. Uh, I think I'll go back. I'm going to go Matthew 3 and start in 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. So this was foretold back in Isaiah in the Old Testament. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit. I'm going to keep going. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So initially we see John John the Baptist. He was predicted in Isaiah that he would make a way or pave a way, and that we see that in a voice of one calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. 
He will make straight paths for him. The guy wears camel hair and he eats locusts and honey. Now, honey, I like. I'm not sure about locusts. Um, People went out to him from far away, confessing their sins and being baptized by him. He was effective. Like he was good at it. Like he didn't just grab a small crowd. Like people traveled to hear his message, to hear about the coming Messiah. And then they would confess their sins and be baptized. So if we pick back up, if we pick back up at 7, let's go back to uh, 7 to 12. Nope, I already read that. In John's humanity, he called, he was called to do something new and unique. So we didn't have a lot of baptismals back there before John started dunking people in, in, uh, in water. But everybody was doing it. You know, it was like the right thing to do. They grabbed his story. They believed. They were excited about a Messiah. And so he was called to do something and to talk about something that we've seen predicted way back in the Old Testament. And he was obedient to the call. And he preached courageously. And we see people come up like the Pharisees. He didn't slack his words. He didn't do what we've seen done in pulpits all across the nation. He didn't get... You know, well, we want to, we don't want to offend anybody. Like, he gave it to him stiff, just the way it is. He was unconforming. He preaches truth that demands repentance and requires baptism and is received by many. He is paving the way for that Messiah that is eagerly anticipated. Yet, he's humble. If we look back, and I won't grab the exact verse because I can't see it. Um, that's part of getting old. But if you look back, he says, I'm not even fit to, to carry the shoes of Jesus. I mean, he knew that he had to courageously speak the gospel and prepare the way, but the guy he's talking about really is so far above him, I couldn't even carry his shoes. And so if you look at verse 13, almost like those words come out of his mouth, and he says, I couldn't even carry this guy's shoes like he's so holy. In verse 13, ironically, then Jesus comes from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. So I don't know how much time has passed there. I hope it was like back to back, like his back was right here. And he said, I couldn't even carry that guy's shoes. And he turned around and he's right there because it has a little bit more irony to it. But then Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter, deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replies, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So the first red-letter words in Matthew, we arrive on the scene of baptism of Jesus as Jesus leaves Galilee to Jordan. And there is a little disagreement. We see John saying, "Ah," kind of like Banjo this morning, feeling a little bit, not up for the task. He's not quite there. So he says in verse 15, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And immediately John is obedient. In being baptized, Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements to be the Messiah. So it says fulfilling all righteousness. This was something he had to do pre-ministry. Fulfill, fulfill all those, that's kind of a hard word to say, fulfill all those righteous requirements. Who was there? John the Baptist. 
what was going on? He was preaching repentance and baptizing people across the land. And he was approached by Jesus to baptize him. And he overcame his humanity, his human feelings of inadequacy with obedience to Jesus. Why is this important to us? We see the outcome of focusing on God, of obeying his call and yielding, yielding truth where you go. Speaking truth to people allows us to be used and to bear fruit. But also, we see that the Lord we serve fulfilled the law and all requirements to earn our undying loyalty. Our undying loyalty so that we can follow him. So we have five points. Jesus traveled all the way from Galilee to be baptized by John. If God prompts you to do something and it costs you a little bit of money, or maybe it just throws you off track for the day. If it's standing there talking with someone and God says, you know what, stop where you're at, listen to this person, they need to hear the gospel. Well, first of all, you're like, like, I don't know, let's share the gospel. What if they get mad at me? Well, what if they never receive the gospel? So we see John doing some crazy things because he was called. And if God calls you and it burns your day, takes you off track from the plans you had, it isn't as bad as a foot trip to, from Galilee or to Galilee. I mean, it's not going to burn you for however long that travel took. So be obedient to the call. And sometimes that might cost you 30 minutes in Sutherlands or wherever, you know, but be obedient. Second point, it was not a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't get dunked so that he was buried with Christ and raised anew. He got dunked for obedience. It was John who was commissioned, but in order to be to fulfill the righteousness, not for repentance, which would be the final step of fulfillment. And I hope that's the last time I say that word today. Jesus was in the line of Judah, and so he was qualified to be Israel's king. And also, he was to become God's holy high priest. So we understand, I won't get into the details of you know, how the Holy Spirit translates our prayers because they're not holy enough to be heard by God. But God, Jesus, is our high priest. We no longer need that priest we see in the Old Testament. We hope we hear the bells all the time and then they come out with the bells. And once the bells aren't heard, they're dead like he's holy and righteous. He fulfilled all righteousness. He paid the price and was holy. And so we he is our now our high priest. And then in four, or the fourth point, John was called to commission Christ's ministry. And so that's kind of where it's exciting. We, you know, we get in Luke and we get in Matthew and then boom, we're done. We're ready. The next stuff, that's where it was tough, is if I just flip my page, I see the Beatitudes. I'm like, ooh, I want to talk about that. But I'm like, no, we got we got to clear some way first. So now that we've done this, this is all pre-ministry. These are Jesus' red-letter words, pre-ministry, and everything else after that is in his ministry. He cried, or John cried, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the next question is, what happened next in this? So if you are healthy and strong, I'm going to have you stand. I know, nobody likes standing when they're relaxed. Do it anyways. Stand up for me. I'm going to read a verse. And then we're going to close in prayer. In verse 16, and try to, I'm not looking at you, so if you close your eyes, I won't see you. But try to picture this, because it just... It's, I read it, I don't know how many times, and it just kind of blows me away. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Bow your head and close your eyes. God, this is what we all want. This is what we all desire, to gain our portion of the Holy Spirit that will empower us to perform acts of obedience unhindered by our humanity and obedient to our Maker, to have him look down on us and comment, this is my daughter, this is my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Help us move there. Help us understand even in a spot we might have sat and read before and it didn't make sense or didn't speak to us, help us to get what you would have for us to understand and help us to apply it, help us to stay close to the vine and to bear fruit. In your name, amen.